You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. If you grew up white, like me, you most likely grew up with a blindfold over your eyes. I was taught that slavery was done away with years ago and that equality was eventually found sometime later, but here we are today with race riots and protests unlike anything our generation has seen. Uh, the Black Lives Matter movement has, has made it clear that those with darker skin are still being treated unjustly today. and. If we have the eyes to see, we'll agree. Stories of that, like Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, and Breonna Taylor, are the most recent wake-up calls, but they are far from being the only wake-up calls. We can't forget in recent times the stories of Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, Eric Gardner, Alton Sterling, and many, many more. We've seen the tension at play over the years and, and have witnessed the death of many of our black brothers and sisters to trigger happy and irrationally scared policemen who were on edge because the person they were dealing with had a different skin color than them. The events are, are no longer isolated. The stories are no longer on the down low and, and the injustice is now visible. And this, of course, is not to say that all cops are bad or, or anything like that. That would just be reverse stereotyping and, and another kind of injustice. But we have to face the facts that racism of varying forms is happening and that these stories are evidence of that. It's time we be honest and admit to the racism that we find inside ourselves so that we can expose it for what it is and begin to turn away from it. Because that exposure, that has power in others and in us. For example, when a good friend of mine uh, was trying to tell me that there was no inherent racism in many of the violent police cases that were coming to light a few years back, they abruptly stopped making their case when I pointed to racism in myself. Now, why is it that I'm more apt to want to lock my doors when a black man walks down the road than when a white man does? If I can begin to recognize the racist tendencies in myself, I can begin to see that the stories that black people share, I can see those in the light that they are saying it's in. Because I've found it in me. Look, this confession that I made to my friend, it flew out of my mouth so quick that I was unable to stop it. And I think in the end, I was more affected by what I said than they were. I had just admitted to the great crime of the 21st century, but in doing so, I had set myself free. I had put myself in a place where I would now have to recognize those thoughts when they came up. If I could recognize these thoughts in me, I could recognize them in others. And if I could recognize them in others, I could begin to more truly sympathize with those that racial injustice affected. I find that I can't necessarily stop a racist thought from happening, but I can take every thought captive to obey Christ, and then I can grab it, interrogate it, and stop it from materializing in my actions. But you know, racism isn't always hiding in the depths of our thought life. It's sometimes quite blatant, even in God-loving, God-fearing Christians. 
For example, I remember eating lunch with my youth group friends in the cafeteria of our 99% white high school when a friend confessed that they were racist to some extent. And what tears me up the most is that I agreed out loud with them. I admitted that I was racist to some extent too and not in a confession kind of way. If I remember right, I think others around the table said the same was true about them. Look, out of everyone at that lunch table, I should have been the one to call out the sin we had just committed. After all, unlike all these kids who had grown up in this small white town, I had just moved from a suburban school that was the most diverse school I had ever attended. And I had lots of black friends there. So what the heck was wrong with me all of a sudden? Why was I saying this? As I think back on it, I actually think it might have had something to do with music videos. I know it sounds weird, but I only lived in this white town for about two years. And somehow, that was enough time for me to forget my actual black friends. I reached the conclusion that all black people had the same lifestyle as represented and what I saw on MTV. My black friends were no longer people, but gangsters who only cared about drugs, sex, money, and violence. What a hypocrite I was. How on earth had I missed the fact that white music videos were all about the same exact things? Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. They, they all go together, right? That's the expression. How could I have been so blind? Look, it hurts me to even retell this story, but again, if I can recognize racism in me, I can destroy those thoughts and begin to see it more clearly in both myself and others. And I can begin to speak to it. I sinned that day. Forgive me, please. If I hide those kinds of things, or even worse, ignore it, I might revert to the version of myself that was sitting at that lunch table. There must be peace among us. We must fight injustice. We must become what Jesus expected his church to be. Jesus is not coming back for a white bride, but a diverse one. He's coming back for a bride whose genetics show signs of every race. One that is at peace within herself and not at war. One that represents what Paul called the fullness of the Gentiles. Those outside of God's nation being brought into his nation. God shows no partiality to anyone based on their culture, ethnicity, or color. He is no respecter of persons. He views no race as greater or lesser. We are all the same in God's eyes. And so we shouldn't be seeing racial issues like these in the church. Even though I fear that's the place where we maybe see it most. We are called to love who he loves, serve who he serves, and go to the ends of the earth with his name. We as Christians are to always consider ourselves as lesser than our neighbors and serve them. For if Jesus, our Savior, who is God in flesh, can take on the form of a servant and wash his disciples' feet, then we also need to wash one another's feet. He has set the example and we are expected to follow it. Serving others and washing their feet does away with racism. 
Pope Francis's powerful display has shown that more than once as he has bent down to wash the feet of Muslim, Hindu, Catholic, and Coptic Christians. He may be the head leader of Catholicism, but in this incredible act of humility, he has made himself a servant to many of those who are different than him. That's the kind of diverse love we're called to. This is the world we must aim for. A world in which police officers wash the feet of black men and women, where CEOs wash the feet of janitors, where popes wash the feet of migrants. And without that humility, others will always look different to us and racism will emerge. If you mix some power into that racism, incredible atrocities will start to happen. Whether it's the violence of the Crusades, killing Indians and taking their land, keeping slaves and considering them three-fifths of a human being, celebrating the death of enemies, or claiming America as God's favorite. You can't ignore the fact that this is all a form of racism. It's considering people different than you to be lesser than you. It's not peace and it's not Christian. For the Christian bows before the stranger and serves them and treats them as more important than themselves. Yet the church knows little about diversity because we're some of the most segregated places in America. We look for buildings full of like-minded individuals who dress like us, look like us, practice the same customs as us, and listen to the same music as us. We have made church to be a place of comfort when in actuality it should be one of the least comfortable places we go all week. It should be a place where God continually calls us to something greater and bigger, a deeper holiness, a more extravagant worship than last week, a greater depth of inner healing, a conviction to confess something to another. It should be a place we choose to attend based on the discomfort of having to interact with people who are different than us in some way, whether it be culture, language, or something else. It shouldn't be a place we choose to attend because it has cup holders, theater seating, and a lack of the Holy Spirit, so things don't get too weird, heavy, or off schedule. Church is meant to rattle a few pews because God's love is a radiant, passionate, all-consuming, dangerous shockwave to the soul you may never recover from if it warms your heart and turns you into an uncontrollable explosion that people feel quaking under their feet, just like it did to the saints and the revivalists of old. That is the power of God. Stagnant comfort is the power of preference. And those who worship that will reap its rewards. Which death do we prefer to die? The death of a radical giving of our all to Christ or the death of this hell that we call personal preference that ensures us that the church around us will look just like us. We need to make the church what it's called to be. A living, breathing, multicultural, multifaceted bride of Christ. If not, it will simply be a comfortable club we bought a membership to. It's time to let it go. For the sake of the kingdom, we have to be at peace and become one. 
For if we can love the church and all of her differences, then we can love those outside of the church and all of their differences. Soon we'll learn to transform our minds, the mind of Christ, so that sinners flood our feet with tears, so that tax-collecting robbers want to spend time with us, so that we don't treat a Samaritan woman like a half-breed minority like the rest of society does, or as a sexual obstacle to overcome as many Christian men in today's society do. We can live like the kind of life that we, we can live the kind of life that makes a woman who has been divorced five times run to us rather than away from us. The kind of life that protects sinners rather than gets them killed. See, these are the ways that Jesus lived. And we can live like Him. We can live in a way that doesn't see others as different, strange, or stereotype, but simply as masters to be served, even if they betray us in just a few short hours. These are the eyes that are blinded by the love of Jesus and yet somehow opened far beyond that of those with 2020 vision. You know, Martin Luther King Jr. not only walked in the peaceable ways of Jesus, but he was willing to embrace the infliction and suffering that came along with it just like Jesus did. It may have looked more like police brutality, tear gas, and assassination rather than a cross, but he and his followers picked up their persecution and carried it for all to witness, boldly embracing the peace of Jesus when the violence of Malcolm X looked so much more appetizing. King's message on love and peace to a world that was violently against him was so otherworldly that we have no choice but to recognize the mark of heaven on what he was saying. He said, while abhorring segregation, we shall love the segregationist. This is the only way to create the beloved community. To our most bitter opponents, we say, we shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. We shall meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will, and we shall continue to love you. Throw us in jail, and we shall still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our community at the midnight hour, and beat us and leave us half dead, and we shall still love you. But be ye assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. One day we shall win freedom, but not only for ourselves. We shall so appeal to your heart and conscience that we shall win you in the process and our victory will be a double victory. See, King understood the message of Jesus. He understood what it meant to love his enemies. He understood what it meant to carry a cross and that's just as important of a message now as it has ever been, especially because King is no longer with us. We must remember how he taught us to fight with love and not hate, peace and not violence. While riots open our eyes to just how deep the pain is, they can't fix the situation. Riots are attempts to dominate our dominators, which is more or less trying to undo the work of Satan with the tactics of Satan, causing us to replace Satan with Satan. This cannot be the story we tell, for it only continues the domination system of this world that's been at play since the dawn of time. We have to fight with the peace of Jesus, and I encourage you to get involved in doing so in whatever way you can. For example, 
I have joined some of the peaceful protests in Jackson, so long as they've stayed peaceful. If they do otherwise, then they have crossed over from love to hate, and I can't assist. But so long as they stay peaceful, I can see conviction in them. And the world needs conviction. I, <laughs> I need conviction. And so I march to save the world and save myself. Peaceful tactics are the most powerful tactics there are, and it is our black brothers and sisters who often practice these tactics better than anyone, for they have had to forgive much, so they have learned to love much. Take, for example, the atrocities of the Charleston shooting of 2015. During a time where America was already suffering from racial inequality, a young white supremacist walked into a primarily black church in Charleston, South Carolina, and started shooting, killing nine. I remember when this happened, I walked into church that Sunday, as feeling, uh, especially feeling pain that some of our black congregants were carrying. Hadn't all the police shootings at that time been enough? And yet, despite how such an atrocity could have driven me to hatred and violence, I had forgiveness written in my preaching notes that day. And here's the reason why. The families of those who were killed in the Charleston shooting had already forgiven the murderer. I don't know how, but these families went to the shooter's bond hearing two days after the shooting and shared words of forgiveness with the man who had murdered their children and parents. The daughter of Ethel Lance one of those who had been shot and killed told his told this murderer i forgive you you took something very precious away from me i will never talk to her ever again i'll never be able to hold her again but i forgive you and have mercy on your soul you have hurt me you've hurt a lot of people but god forgives you and i forgive you Another representative of someone else who had passed took uh, the stand and said, I forgive you and my family forgives you. But we would like to take this opportunity, we would like you to take this opportunity to repent. Repent, confess, give your life to the one who matters the most, Christ, so that he can change it, can change your ways no matter what happened to you, and you will be okay. Do that and you will be better off than what you are right now. Then another person spoke up, said, We welcomed you Wednesday night into our Bible study with open arms. You've killed some of the most beautiful people that I know. Every fiber in my body hurts, and I will never be the same. Taiwanza Sanders is my son, but Taiwanza was my hero. Taiwanza was my hero. As we said in the Bible study, we enjoyed you, but may God have mercy on your soul. Another representative repeated the same thing. Although my grandfather and the other victims died at the hands of hate, this is proof. Everyone's plea for your soul is proof that they, they lived in love, and their legacies will live in love. So hate won't win, and I just want to thank the courts for making sure that hate doesn't win. And then another girl, who had lost her sister, spoke up as well and said, I would just thank you on behalf of my family for not allowing hate to win. For me, I'm a work in progress, and I acknowledge that I am very angry, but 
One thing Depayne has always joined in, in our family with, is that she taught me that we are the families that love built. We have no room for hate, so we have to forgive. How can anyone respond this peaceably? How do they not just lash out and spew hatred over their victimizer? They do it by letting the Holy Spirit grow impossibly sized fruit in their lives. They chose to be people of peace instead of violence, people of love instead of hate. Charleston's Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church chose Jesus' spiritual tactics when Satan's fleshly tactics seemed so much more appetizing. The same is true of Brant Jean, who has to give the woman who murdered her brother a hug in the courtroom and then forgave her. What kind of loving madness is this? It's the loving... It's the loving madness of Jesus. Jesus calls us to this kind of love, not just with his words, but with his actions. Not just in how he lived, but in how he died. And we have to do the same. The prophets call critique to their politicians and take a stand for the oppressed time and time again. In Psalm 82, God condemns spiritual beings for not taking care of the oppressed. In Matthew 25, Jesus condemns Christians for the same reason. It's a hard message to preach, and it's a huge part of the reason people didn't like the prophets. It's a huge part of the reason people killed the prophets. But if we decide to ignore that message, then we are guilty of having killed the voice of the prophets as well. I've suspected for some years now that our nation is in the middle of something big, and this is not the peak of it. I think there have been some things put in motion that cannot be reversed, and imaging Jesus to the world in the midst of all of that is going to take more and more effort on our behalf. We need a wider vision, okay? We, we need to live today as though we're staring at it from the end of whatever might come. How did we live in this place in history? Did, did we take a stand for Jesus or did we just aim for as much comfort as we could get in a difficult time? Did we show the world the hope and love and peace and grace and forgiveness and beauty of God or did we harden our hearts and close our ears? I sit in conviction and I pray for more of it. May the radical love of the kingdom of heaven be poured out in Jackson through us in the midst of any kind of difficulty.
Amen.